Magic Mike Show, where you hear the experts speak. The Magic Mike Show, tune into the show every week. The Magic Mike Show, you can trust the show is the bomb because it's being brought to you by RacingDudes.com. What's up, everybody? I'm Magic. And I'm Mike. And this is the Magic Mike Show, episode 408, Mr. Samich. Derby points, huzzah! We got a leaderboard. It's freaking middle of September, and we're talking Derby and Oaks. Yeah, this is this is what happens here. Yeah, that's uh, what's that? You got to talk McPeak then. Uh, do we have to? Do we really yeah, have to we'll talk about Kenny later. McPeak? Yeah, we'll we'll find out here. We are uh, gonna be talking about some Breeders' Cup stuff uh, as well. It was a fun weekend. Uh, lots of great stars showed up. Lots of very short prices. Uh, Charlie Appleby, he's pretty good when it comes to America, Mike. Yeah, I mean that that uh, it's starting to become a trend. When Appleby ships a horse over and Buick rides, just single. That's that is what we are learning. Just hit that single button, move along. Don't try and beat them. Uh, monster performances at Woodbine. And I love how Appleby is spotting these horses too. He's putting them at Belmont and Woodbine, which are great tracks for these European horses to come over. Places like Saratoga, even Keeneland, where the Breeders' Cup is. Not quite as inducive to the same style, although Delmar wasn't either, and they did just fine out there last year. So I love how he's kind of picking his spots here to bring over the superstars. Yeah, that's a great point. And you're right, Delmar not conducive necessarily to the Euros. Didn't matter. They're just that much better than us. Uh, Nick says modern games is fun to watch. We're going to talk about modern games. Uh, It's going to be a fun show. We're also, uh, you know, we've got seven races to talk about. A lot of Breeders' Cup implications, Derby, Oaks. I know they're points races. I think we'll kind of focus on breeders cup for those horses let's not get too far ahead of ourselves but uh before we get going who's leading the afc right now mike oh wait wait let me look for it uh, oh it's the Ew. dolphins god what a what a bs win we pulled off there that was that honestly like if you look at the box score it looked like the dolphins were the better team but rarely do you give up a kick return touchdown a 75 yard pass and a 72 yard run all for touchdowns and win the game went down 21 in the fourth quarter that's not normal also, two under through every single wide open receiver, but they were so wide open it didn't matter. Well, I saw that he had uh, he had a pretty big play late in the game that uh, to Tyreek that was a big one. So, yeah, um, I will. Work. I <laughs> I've only been paying attention really from a fantasy perspective. Uh, very happy that I picked up um, Amon Ross St. Brown in my draft pretty early on. He had himself a big day. The Detroit Lions, uh, you know, they, they beat the Washington Commanders. So. Uh, eight and eight season. Well, no, we can't have eight and eight anymore. What is realistic for the Detroit Lions? You think seven and ten, six and eleven? Uh, I don't know their schedule well enough. I would say their upside is ten and seven. Um, they they are they're frisky, man. They 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 try very hard for Dan Campbell. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown's very good. Swift needs to stay healthy. The defense is an effort defense, not a talent defense. Uh, but Hutchinson, first pick in the draft, had three sacks yesterday, trying to get that number that that DPO or rookie DPO wide uh, award. So. I would say upside is 10 and seven. I think realistically you should be happy with eight and nine. That Yeah. I know I would be happy with that one. Hutchinson. Uh, that's a single game rookie record, three sacks. And it was week two. <laughs> uh, I wasn't sure about the hype on this guy. Cause he went to Michigan. He's a hometown kid. And, and this happens a lot in Detroit with all the sports teams and we get the hometown kid. And he did, we're all excited. And a lot of times it's, you get a Matian Cleves, and I love Matian Cleves when he was at Michigan State, but boy, he did not translate to the NBA. Uh, looks like Aiden Hutchinson is translating. He's translating okay right now, Mike. Let's 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 pump the brakes a little bit. It was it was Carson Wentz in the Commanders. Let's 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 wait That's until true. he gets a little bit better of a quarterback, a little better offensive line. Then let's talk about it because he was 
Uh, he was suspiciously silent in his first game as a pro and very good here. So let's see where we end up through a full season. And Dr. Tang bringing up the uh, the preseason best bet that Mike Samich had of Giants over six and a half wins. They're 2-0, and oh, but you said this. Week eight, we could have this locked up the way they're playing right now. Yeah, pretty crazy. I mean, the 2-0 and oh out for the Giants. They're playing so hard for Brian Dable, and that really is the key. There is something going on just from an effort and energy perspective. Danny Dimes is awful, man. He's doing this with a terrible quarterback. You watched, we watched Daniel Jones play. There, there, there's not much talent there, but he's able to – basically scheme them into wins scheme receivers open and then Saquon Barkley on a contract year matters he cares right now he is running hard and, and it's it's making a big difference the defense is just good enough I it's not going to be a pretty nine wins that the Giants get to but they will get to nine and the question is do we cash the division bet at plus 700 now and we need the Eagles not to get to a nine wins big game tonight I really hope that we get to three points on the Vikings so we can bet the Vikings uh, we'll get into the horse racing talk and then come back for some more football at the very end. Let's get into it, buddy. Riders up. Uh, you know, Mike, before we start off the late pick five here, uh, or sorry, the late pick five, the, the talk about this, I want to go to, to Michael Olson here in the chat. He says, great call on Fading Express, man. We did cover the late pick five at Belmont at the Big A, and that's where we're going to start here. Uh, Express, man, let's go to that race instead of talking about the Jockey Club uh, Oaks <laughs> right now. This is race eight, one race. No, I'm sorry, race nine, two races yep. later. Uh, Express, man, a 30 cents on the dollar favorite uh, in this race, going seven furlongs. You were against him. Talk about it. Yeah, I mean, this is just situational, right? It's, and honestly, I thought Expressman ran huge in this spot to end up missing by just a half length. He went 22 and change, 45 and change, and was clear by a length and a half to break his maiden and got a monster number, 107, which I all think we, we felt was a little bit fake um, just based on the fact that it was two-year-olds going seven furlongs. It's a little tough. Or three-year-olds going seven furlongs at Saratoga. It's a little tough to make that number from a maiden perspective. Well, he was on the rail that day. Here he's the seven horse. He's sitting four wide and has to go the exact same fractions. You look where the five horse in the back off is sitting. It's the perfect trip. And that really was the difference. And we've talked about it on this show multiple times. The number one spot to fade a short price at Naira specifically, because you see this happen all the time at Naira, is monster effort first time out maiden special weight horses that step up into N1X allowances. And they're facing four and five-year-olds that are good horses that are all of a sudden pressing the pace. They're, they're as fast as Expressman. No one was. And then there's a horse that can actually close, like Nabokov, who, by the way, was sub three to one in a graded stakes. That's who he's that's who he's running with here down the lane. It just makes the spot significantly harder for these horses first time out. They get way over bet because betters see that 107. They see that first race. The implied improvement in the second race, that's just not always the case here. I actually thought Nabokov was going to win by three lengths right here. And Expressman really dug in and gave him a race, and, and Nabokov ends up getting by late. But just an example of where, yeah, Expressman, the most, most likely winner, doesn't win this race 90% of the time. And that was what I believe the implied odds were in the pick fours and the pick fives. The, uh, it was an interesting decision from Castellano to go four wide with him as, for the entire backstretch and turn, basically, because it, it, if you, we go back to the start, it's like he couldn't figure out where to place the horse. He, he wasn't sure... Like, like uh, he started to let the, the, you know, the horse isn't exactly out of there. He, he puts him into contention here. 
And then the horse is going to drop back a little bit. I'm like, right here, you should have just let him drop back. And you see Castellano still like kind of riding with him. I'm like, if you slide back with Nabokov and sit on the outside of that horse, you're off of the pace a little bit. You're not four wide, and you're still getting the first jump on your on your biggest rival here, which Nabokov at eight to one, I think, was the second choice in this race. Uh, third choice. The two is the second. Third choice. Um, okay. Yeah, but the problem is, and this comes with lack of experience, we don't know if the seven can rate. We have absolutely no clue okay. if he could take dirt and sit back there. We know he can go to the front and win. We saw that and, and see him talk to him impressively. So that it's just lack of experience again. And that's why this specific angle, first time against winners after a monster number is where you want to play against. Cause there's just not enough information. The one piece of information you have on the page for the jockey, for the trainer or the better all is, this is a monster. He's just going to run away from him. It's just not the case. You see these horses lose at, at, at one to five is a little extreme. Usually you see them lose at, at three to five, four to five, even money consistently in New York because they're stepping up. And these N1Xs, specifically written later in the year, are against older horses. It's not just three-year-olds that you're facing, like in the maiden special weight or two-year-olds in the maiden special weight. A lot of times, well, two-year-olds, you're going to face two-year-olds next time out. But a lot of times, if you win a three-year-old maiden special weight, you're facing older the next time out. And it's just, it's a significantly tougher spot and you don't have everything your own way. And that's that's the difference. Breaking from the rail, and having everything your own way versus breaking from the seven posts and having three horses that were faster than you in the opening furlong. All great points. And uh, thanks for explaining that again. Again, that was Mike had that same argument back when we were uh, handling this late pick five, which unfortunately you were already out in the first leg here because frustrating, man. <laughs> somehow holds off uh, Toscana Bell here and a great ride from Frankie Dettori. I thought his two rides in the stakes race is much better than when he was at Belmont in the spring. Uh, Toscana Bell, a good effort. McCulloch just better this day. Yeah, I mean that's that's really all it was. I, I wish we went a little bit earlier here with Toscana Bell, um, but I, I have no qualms about the effort or the ride. Uh, to me, this is an indictment on the U.S. group that's going to head into the Breeders' Cup because I'm not very high on McCulloch, who wins this race by a neck, and I feel like this was kind of the C team that came over from Europe. Um, maybe B. We'll go B. We'll be nice. We'll go B. Um, so to me, this this just tells me at the Breeders' Cup, I'm going to be on Euros in this division. I just I don't see how McCulloch is going to be a, a Euro or a Breeders' Cup competitor with this type of effort. It's uh, it's interesting to me that Charlie Appleby didn't send a horse here for this race. He had one in the Jockey Club Derby. We'll talk about in a minute, and then the three big races at Woodbine. He had two there. Uh, a little surprised he didn't have uh, maybe with the Moulin. Maybe something happened why she's not there. Uh, also, Nostalgic is a Godolphin homebred based in America with Bill Mott. She was in this race, so she really didn't factor much into this race at all. Um, I'm with you. I think this is, you know, Toscana Bell was the German Oaks winner overseas. Um, you know, she had, hadn't really faced anyone, in, you know, in, uh, I want to say in Europe, in France, anyone in Great Britain or Ireland, like the big, the big heavy hitters over there. So it was hard to see where she was at. McCulloch, we talked about this on the reaction she doesn't feel like a Chad Brown Breeders' Cup horse this year. She, maybe she develops. You know, she, she is by Frankel. She could get better at four. But uh, right now, it feels like Breeders' Cup is not where maybe this horse belongs. Yeah, I, I was surprised that Nostalgic wasn't on the lead here. We like we talked about it before the race. We expected the two to go. I was I was surprised that Beside Herself went there. I think Frankie Dettori did the right thing by getting up to the neck here. And it just – it was a weird race because – I feel like Frankie didn't really ask in time because now if you're watching this, McCulloch has all the momentum in his buy. And then yep. you see that ask from Toscana Bell. I would have almost rather seen Toscana Bell try and go by around that turn, take the lead around beside herself. Cause now you're in this, this long drive and, and Toscana Bell just never gets 
buy again. And then you see McCullough take a weird step there. I, this just one of those races where I just didn't come away impressed by either of these horses. And that's not really what you're looking for when you're heading into the Breeders' Cup. It was fun to watch. It was a great yep. horse race from that perspective. But I'm with, and also, you know, Miss Yearwood, the fact that she came within a length of the of the winner <laughs> closing there. Um, yeah, I think this is a, a fun group, but uh, whether Chad Brown brings McCulloch to the Breeders' Cup or not be interesting. I know that the Queen, the QE2 stakes at, at Keeneland, uh, that is the last three-year-old turf Philly restricted race that she could be in before the Breeders' Cup. It's a mile and an eighth. Maybe they take her there and see if, how she likes Keeneland and, and how she's doing. But uh, right now, I think, you know, we don't know who exactly it's going to be, but it's probably going to be a Euro who's our top pick for the Breeders' Cup Philly Mare Turf. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I would fade McCulloch if she goes to the QE2. I, I would try and beat her because she's going to be a shorter price again. And like, this is mm-hmm. not that impressive of an effort. And I, I would, I would rather not take her sub two to one as a favorite. I'd rather try and, you know, spread around and see if we can beat her and, and kind of juice up those pickaxes. <laughs> uh, let's move on. Race 10 at Belmont at the big A on Saturday, September 17th, race 10. This was the jockey club derby and uh, was not the first of the Charlie Appleby horses to run that day, but uh, this got the Appleby train right a roll in here. Um, nation's pride the rubber match between himself and classic causeway and a key thing when we were handicapping this time on the magic mike show frankie dettori was back aboard and it was frankie dettori's fault we kind of felt why this horse lost the belmont derby won the saratoga derby looked great looked equally great if not better here i thought yeah we we felt that magic you want to do you want to do you want to talk a little about how you feel about frankie dettori now William Buick's still better. I mean, Frankie <laughs> DeTore. Frankie DeTore. You know what I said when we were handicapped? I said, DeTore needs to watch how Buick rode him at the Saratoga Derby. Do that exact ride. You're going to win this race. He was pretty close to the exact ride here. He listened to me, Mike. I, I, well, he did text me after the show and said you brought up a great point. So that's that's good to hear. Okay. Um, the fact this was a six-horse field, I think, helped out as well. It, it was pretty simple. Yes. Get, get behind Classic Causeway. Even if Classic Causeway goes slow, and by the way, he didn't. I mean, you're seeing 24 flat there for the opening quarter. They go pretty quick to the half and 48 and one. The key here was that you got to be close. You got to be in range and not get in trouble. And that's exactly what happened. Nation's Prize is just a better horse than Classic Causeway. Classic Causeway has been phenomenal on the turf in those two starts. I Much better than I expected. Even ran pretty well here. But the fact of the matter is, if Nation's Pride was a length behind, Going into the lane, Nation's Pride was going to beat him. And, and that's exactly what kind of played out here. Uh, a little interested in, uh, in our, uh, what is it, Articon uh, coming back as well. The trip too wide around every single turn made it tough for that horse to really make up any type of ground late. I'll be interested to see where we go next, if we stay in the U.S. or not. Uh, but Nation's Pride looked, looked very good here. Uh, I, I don't know if it's a hot take. I don't want no part of this horse in the Breeders' Cup, though. Like, I know that of Nation's I know Pride? That- yeah, no, not interested. I know that the, these are. I don't. I don't think this field was very good. I don't think Classic Causeway was very good when he has to go one thirty-seven. I don't think to beat anything here, and I think this horse is going to get overbet because of this effort against older in the Breeders' Cup. And to me, that is a rep- recipe for disaster. Is a better. Well, it's. Uh, I mean, it'll, a lot of it again will matter who comes over from Europe. Um, Appleby also has Rebels Romance, a four-year-old who looks like it's great. Nick, uh, Nick Philbin, I saw in the chat, says that Appleby said he's unlikely to go come back for the Breeders' Cup turf and a campaign as a four-year-old, like they're doing with uh, they did. Well, your beer's a gelding. That's not a good example, but uh, Rebels Romance is a gelding too. Not good examples. <laughs> this horse is intact. Uh, but it, you know, if that's the case, I was reading the DRF uh, article. It said that they weren't sure. Uh, plans up in the air. Um, 
Uh, Flavian Pratt uh, said afterwards that Classic Causeway mile and a half was probably too long for him. Uh, he, you know, he could probably handle a mile and a half if he's not facing a, a European horse like Nation's Pride. Uh, he was only a half length off of the Grey Wizard there. Um, but don't expect to see Classic Causeway at the Breeders' Cup either. Don't forget, uh, Nick Feldman's favorite horse in the world, Warlike Goddess, is aiming for the Breeders' Cup turf. So, you know, that could be a horse that we're looking at as, as our top pick. Do you have a, a top pick right now for this division? It's impossible to pick these turf races until we know who's coming over. I mean, that like yeah. because the Europeans, just they, they factor in so heavily here. And it's nice that we're getting to see last year and this year one or two races in the U.S. before we see them at the Breeders' Cup. Before, it was just kind of, hey, Google you on your head to YouTube and try and pull up the replays and see what you can come out of those. Um, but now we at least get to see one or two races most of the time of these horses. But you got to think, okay, the Gray Wizard just ran second here. And by the way, props to you for, for the Gray Wizard. You had this horse. This is a nice exacta here if you played that 3-4 cold. And you mentioned this horse quite a bit on Thursday on the show. Um, I need to know who's coming from Europe before I can make a pick. And that's because I'm going to pick a Euro in this spot. I picked Broom last year. Right. I mean, like, I'm going to pick a Euro in this spot pretty much every single year. Right now, it looks like uh, US-wise, Gufo, of course, winner of the Sword Dancer, second year in a row. Red Knight, winning you're in. Um, Mas- masterpiece. Warlike Goddess is exciting. Yabir is okay. not coming. I did see that. The Applebee said he's not going to send uh, Yabir. I don't know what the exact reason was, but he's not coming. Uh, but Rebels Romance, we could see Broom come back. Remember, Broom was that almost... Did you have a big bet on Broom last yeah. year? Yep. Sorry, yep. you bring that up. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I think things and say it before, you know, thinking, should I say this part? Yep. Uh, Mishrif, if, if they send Mishrif over, good night. Good night, Irene. There's your winner is Mishrif. Uh, that would be incredible if John Gosden sent him over. Well, and this is the tough part about this. It's who's your take? Who's coming? Is it's, it's so hard to, to kind of give that out. Of the horses you mentioned in the U.S., Warlike Goddess is the one that stands out to me. Not only because yeah. she's been dominant when she's run, we also don't know the upside there. We've never really seen her challenged. Um, and, and she gets a, a weight break against all these horses. I, I still think in these longer turf yep. races, you have to factor in the weight break. It's one thing when, you know, you get two pounds doing six furlongs on the dirt. It's a completely different world when you're going a mile and a half on the turf and you're getting eight pounds. And like at that point, and you need a kick at the end, that eight pounds matters after carrying that type of distance. I wonder if, oh, he's not in the chat. Rodney would be screaming at me too. Uh, his, one of his favorite horses, Baid. I don't know if Baid is coming over. If Baid came over, I have the right to change my pick to Baid. That horse is, is a monster as well. I feel like we'd know if Baid was coming over though. Because that's like wow. that's one of those horses where it, it would be out because that I, Baid is is either one A or one B in the world right now, right? Right. The line. They're the they're the right. best two horses in the world according to everybody. Yeah. So you would kind of know. I, I feel like you hear that that momentum going if Baid was going to come over. He's won three uh, Breeders' Cup winning year in races this year. Uh, one of them for the Classic, one for the Mile, and then one for the Turf. Maybe he'll run it off. That's all. That's incredible. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> what a freaking horse. That's amazing. Sorry. I don't mean to gush about Bay. We should focus here. Uh, <laughs> uh, anything else? Any final thoughts out of the uh, the Jackie Club Derby? No, it's just another great example of a, a very easy single over a good pick with the exacta. You should scroll down and, and give yourself a little bit Oops. of a little hat tip. That exacta was pretty nice there. Um, I think I... I you're killing me here. You pulled it off the Freaking screen. I think Sorry. Like no. I, one. And, and 
one of the ways, one of the best ways to attack these as a better is to, to take the free square that you really like and find a horse you like in second and then to play that as a cold exacta. Uh, 1670 to one is what it paid. There you go. It's almost 17 to one with an ice cold horse on top. Yeah. Pretty, pretty good. Oh, well, I'll get them next how, time. Like, how much uh, do you have on magic? Oh, <laughs> uh, I wish I'd had that. No, it was great. To tell you what, speaking of horses, I did have money on. Let's talk about Mysterious Night. Don't even care. This horse was one to two at, at Woodbine for the summer stakes. This was the Breeders' Cup winning. You're in for the juvenile turf. The first of the Charlie Appleby horse, three Charlie Appleby horses that we saw that were winners. Uh, he's the one horse on screen. Aaron said it during the reaction. He's such a gorgeous horse. He's so easy to spot with that big, beautiful blaze on his head. Uh, but what did you think? Uh, to me, this was the most impressive of the Appleby winners. The horse looks phenomenal. My dog might have been able to beat this field. That was the <laughs> issue I had. Like It was just like the horse looked really, really good. But this was a Chad Brown I didn't like in the three. A local horse in the six that wasn't that good. Um, glorified workout that the horse looks phenomenal in. And I, you'd like, you can only beat who you line up against. So I don't want to take anything away in that sense. It's just, uh, there's a little bit of tap the brakes on the, on the, the love for me, just because there, there wasn't anything in this race. Now, that being said, look, the pace wasn't quick, 24 and one. I think they go to the, the half year and plus 48 or right around 48. So 48 flat for yeah. a mile. That's pretty slow. Um, I liked in a, a one, a one turn mile. Like if this right. was a two turn mile, they're usually slower. Right. So th this is actually a pace that you have to run into. And the two horse, even at 27 to one, should be semi-dangerous here. As soon as the four fades out, the one gets a lane and good night. I mean, this is the, the, the night was not mysterious. There was actually no mystery. <laughs> the one was just winning by open lengths when you saw that move. And, and the, the lack of any actual effort here from William Buick also shows just how good this one was. So, look, beat absolutely nothing. Oh. Looked phenomenal doing it. Um yeah, I, you probably have to take this horse back in the Breeders' Cup or at least be really interested. I'm just worried that this type of visual effort ends up being a wildly short price that that may not be completely accurate. I mean, I'm, this horse should be the favorite, but completely accurate. Like, but are you really wait, you're ready to lay a six to five on this horse. He finished that final quarter mile oh from the, in the yeah. stretch, basically 23 flat. And uh, Buick didn't hit go until the eighth pole. So he really, he went another 12 something. Mean, he was doing sub 12s after the opening quarter. Yep. And he probably did another sub 12 and then probably was close to an 11 in that. I mean, just when he exploded, like when Buick hits, I'm going to rewind it. When Buick hits go with the eighth pole, it's like, holy shit, this horse just takes off. Magic's going to gush it? for a while now. Man, first Baid and, and, and Mishrif and now this. I mean, look, there's the quarter pole. We're still not yeah. doing anything. Maybe it was a 316s where he did it. Okay, here's 316 right there. 316. Boom. Go. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's just let okay. The three horse who runs second, won a maiden special weight, and then finished fourth in a turf sprint. Okay, that was your seven nine to two second choice. That was the Chad Brown. Yep. It was a Chad Brown. Okay. So the sixth horse, Philip, my dear, third career race, won a maiden special weight, won a stakes race. Okay. This was Mysterious Knight's sixth career race. And he's already a group three winner. So just, just again, just putting in perspective the difference between a three-year-old or putting in perspective, again, the difference between um, just a two-year-old European horse who has six starts versus a Chad Brown horse who's coming out of a maiden into a turf sprint into a mile race, right? Like 
European horses are more seasoned at this point. They're going to be more professional. And I'm again, I don't want to knock this horse. I'm just just pump the brakes a little bit on the price perspective when you're going to the Breeders' Cup here with this one, because you're going to get a really short price. You're going to have some other really good two-year-olds come over from Europe into this race. Um, and I, I just, I mean, we can talk about taking two to five on a, on a two-year-old if you want. I think that's coming up a little bit later. No, we already talked about, oh no, he was one to five, wasn't he? He was, one, was, and he was three. We got a two to five two-year-old we're going to talk about coming up later too. Uh, Nick says that in Nick's opinion, it doesn't matter the horse. It's trusting Appleby knows which horses are going to win these big races. If he has his horse in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf and he's going to send him there, I'm taking him as my top side. I'm with you. And, and Mike brings up a point about watching the price. I think this is going to be a race where you do what Michael did. You, you take the, the short price on top. You figure out who you like underneath. Bet it cold and exact up with a heavy hammer. He hit it for 100. That's I don't even know what that paid, but that's I mean, that's got to pay something nice. So um just like we talked about the last race too maybe this is how we make money at the breeders cup this year single appleby who do you like in second (laughs) i want to say this exactly paid four or five dollars i want to say the try paid 12 12 to 1 something like that because aaron and i talked about it after the race how this wasn't a hard exacta this wasn't a hard trifecta and yet it was a great way to make money and a lot of people are so like accustomed i'm only going to bet win well instead of betting 20 bucks to win just play a 20 dollar exacta cold here and your your 20 dollar exacta cold is as good as hitting a seven to two shot to win for 20 bucks. And I would argue this is an easier exact to hit than a seven to two shot on top. Yeah, that's a great point. The, it screws me up because they do 20 cent for supers and tries. And then the, eh, yeah, the try ended up paying, what is that? Eight and a half to one. Yeah. Boy, I hate doing See? This is why I hate doing math. <laughs> <laughs> That was good. Um, all right. So Mysterious Knight, that's, you know, a great horse. The rest of these were pretty much Woodbine horses and the Chad Brown horse that we'll see what a praise does coming back. I, I think a horse that, uh, you know, Chad Brown, not known for turf sprinters, is by Kodiak. But, you know, this horse could be a decent miler. Not saying Breeders' Cup, but, you know, Aqueduct has the, what is it, the Central Park Stakes? Whatever, the Central something stakes that he could be good for. Yeah, you won't see any of these horses at the Breeders' Cup except Mysterious Knight. Except the winner of the, the race. Uh, remember, by the way, he, Charlie Appleby. Yeah, Charlie Appleby did win this race last year and go to the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf and win that with Modern Games. And on Saturday, we were finally able to bet money on Modern Games and win. Um, I take it back. I for, I said that the uh, the last race was the most impressive. No, no. This was the most impressive one right here. Modern Games in the Woodbine Mile because it's a big field. It's 11 horses. These are older horses. You have multiple winners of this race. You have a horse that almost won the Canadian Triple Crown a couple years ago. Very talented group. Modern Games made them look like nothing. Yeah, this is this is a horse that will be a very deserving favorite in the turf mile, if you ask me. Uh, this is a test here. I mean, you, you cannot downplay the fact this is only the second time Modern Games has faced older horses. Um, and it's the, the, the first time in North America Modern Games has faced older horses. This field doesn't suck. I mean, look, Tom Cruise won this race last year, Gate to Wire. Ivar's in here. Um, you, you've got multiple horses that could have gotten the job done in Italians. In, or I'm sorry, Wakanaka's in this race who beat an Italian two back. Uh, you have a, another European invader in the four horse who I was interested, who came in here. Uh, this field wasn't bad. Modern games made this field look like a joke and, and did so impressively. I didn't think got the best trip. I mean, look, a grade one race going a mile on a one turn mile, 23 opening quarter, basically 45 and three, not that fast sitting fourth to last right now. And just makes this explosive move around the turn. And when, when the button was pushed, uh, it was like watching a Fast and the Furious race here. The Nas kicked in, and this horse just went 
right on by everybody and won by open lengths. And here you're still in seventh place right now. And as soon as this horse gets in the clear, it's just good night. I, I just, just pulls away without even much effort. I mean, he got steered out at the quarter pole, which is if you're not if you're listening to the podcast, it, it would bind the quarter poles right at the top of the stretch. He got swung out even wider by the four horse finest sound who runs on to finish a close third. Well, close to Ivar, who got second. Uh, they weren't close to modern games, but he got pushed out even farther and kept going. But so that between the quarter mile pole when he's shoved out and the three sixteenths, so you know, a sixteenth of a mile, he's already on top. And you talked about the uh you didn't think he had the best trip. His incremental pace actually tells that same. Uh, story because he was basically uh, his own fractions. He went 24 seconds for the opening quarter. He went 22 and three in that second, at the, at the second point of call had to slow it way down to 23 and one because he was shifted around a little bit. And again, from the quarter mile, when he got shifted out to home sub 23 seconds, and wasn't even being asked for his best. Crazy. I, I like, I like Nick's comment here. I don't think anyone, he finished four lengths behind by I don't think any of the other horse <laughs> would be by a mile. This is like the comp is like, Cody's wish, that's actually an insult to, to, to modern games. There are horses that, that flight line roasts at a mile that are great horses, right? That's what this mm-hmm. is. I mean, this is a great horse that got beat by a phenomenal horse last time out. And, and then modern games showed the stripes here and was able to actually absolutely pull away and dominate this field. This, to me, is a deserving short price favorite in the turf mile. And, and like... I, I think there's enough tactical speed. If you need to be close, you can. If you can come from off the pace, showed we've been able to do it on a course like Keeneland with Delmar before. Like, I, there's not many many chinks in this armor here from Modern Games' perspective. Well, before we move on, what do you think about the runner-up Ivar? This horse that won the Keeneland Turf Mile. La- I'm sorry, in 2020, uh, is the Shadow Turf Mile. Went to the Breeders' Cup at Keeneland and finished a good fourth, and then the Keeneland Turf Mile fourth. He was third in last year's Breeders' Cup Mile. He shows up in these races, especially when they're a mile long. I should they go to the Breeders' Cup with him? And if they do, is he a sneaky underneath play? So they will, um, is the answer. They'll be in the Breeders' Cup turf mile. I'd be shocked if they weren't. Paul Lobo is tough. I, I it's just like he has horses that run huge and then has horses that don't. I don't want to put him in the Kenny McPeak category where you have to get, you know, <laughs> eight to one, nine to one to bet the horse to win. But I like Paul Lobo a lot more when it's a long shot versus when it's a horse that's a shorter price you go back and you look at the shadwell turf mile this horse won at 14 to 1 that's when you want to be betting this horse and and that was over keeneland's course you could make an argument that the two best races we've seen from this horse are at keeneland in that race and then the breeders cup mile next time out um ivar isn't underneath for me but i need 10 to 1 and i don't know if i'm gonna get that yeah, that, I think you're right. You need a good price on him. Um, but the horse is one for three at Keeneland in the two races that he lost. He was fourth beaten two lengths, uh, all grade ones. So he he does well against the Europe, like these European style races like this. Like talk about he's, he's got the Brazilian breeding. Um, but uh, here we go. Nick says, Ivar's the new raging bull. Just key him in second and third in these big ones. Uh, yeah, that, that could be a good way to do it. Um, he, who's the other one that he has in love? I would take Ivar yeah. over in love. I can't trust in love to show up anywhere at this point. I mean, that's the problem with Paulo. That's why I mentioned the price. I, you don't need to trust a horse to show up at 20 to one. You need to trust a yeah. horse to show up at five to two. And for the purposes, I know a few people hit this exact. And actually I saw Nick hit the, uh, the trifecta. Uh, Nick, I think that Nick bet the try cold and I bet Nick was sweating it out until those last few jumps because it was just a neck that, uh, Ivar gets the job done. The rest of these horses, 
including Wakanaka. You know, she took her shot against the boys. I don't, you know, I don't think this was a bad spot for them to take a shot. Just wasn't uh, her her spot, but go back down to the female. She's still a good one. She is a grade one winner. Uh, you want to say what else you want to say? No, was, that was frustrating. I had a, I had a two four exactly cold. I used four in tournaments. That was a bummer that the, that four couldn't hold up there for me. By the way, Dr. Tang, um, uh, I see him in the chat. I want to know if Dr. Tang wants to do the uh, dinner bet with you again that you had last year was smooth like straight. See if uh, Dr. Tang wants to take Ivar. Do the same thing. You game? I'm sure we'll, uh, that was actually Tyler Hoffman. Tyler Hoffman that got the better of me on the dinner bet, to be fair. Doc was too chicken to bet it. Uh, but uh, but he still reaped the rewards of it. Although I will give Doc credit. He brought two bottles of wine to dinner. So he paid more than That's Tyler true. did that night. So I appreciate that. <laughs> All right, Mike, last race that we'll talk about at Woodbine, the next one here, the Johnny Walker Natalma. I forgot that Johnny Walker sponsored that, and a lot of people probably needed Johnny Walker. After last call, a maiden wins this race at 21 to 1. Longest shot in the field of eight. Uh, your favorite Cairo consort ends up finishing second at eight to five. What did you think about this race, Mike? I think if you watch the preview on racingdudes.com, you had last call. Because this was a horse that we said to use here at, at a price. And so it was nice to get this one home. Uh, did I use it in the tournament that I was in, in the big tournament? No, I didn't because I'm an idiot. Um, but it, this is a horse that I don't think was that far-fetched when you actually go back and look at the post, uh, the past performances. We talk all the time about how these two-year-old races are races where horses could take a huge step forward. You had Hernandez, one of the best jockeys there at Woodbine, English channel, a horse that wants more distance, coming out of sprint races. And if you go back and you specifically watch the replay of the maiden special weight last time out. So that this horse missed to the favorite by a length and a half, right? The favorite who's who's two to one in this race and is 21 to one. You shouldn't see that big of a gap. Then the second time out, the horse was headstrong the whole way, wanted to go, wanted the extra distance. Today, we can stretch out from that seven furlongs to a mile and you get a monster number here. And what was a, I thought, a pretty weak field, a, a great price, really wish we could connect with everything else and made it worthwhile. That was kind of a the theme of the weekend is that you get prices home, but you, you can't make it pay off because of the other legs and the pick fours and the pick fives. I really wish Charlie Appleby had a horse for this one, too. He had won this last year with Wild Beauty. Um, <laughs> wanted to see him do it again here. I uh, Fun story. You know, twenty. I guess fun that she's 21 to 1. And, and yeah, if you listen to Mike on the preview at racingnews.com and youtube.com slash racing dudes, uh, we had, Mike had this horse as one to watch. I was surprised that she won. Uh, just because she was the maiden, but it's also it's more impressive that she did it not needing to go gate to wire. Like this wasn't a case where she just happened to be alone speed and got brave. Uh, she had to come from seventh of eight horses to get the job done. And you talked about Rafi Hernandez leading rider or one of the top riders there uh, at Woodbine every year, staying on a maiden for this race. Uh, Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies Turf. Uh, I haven't seen anything uh, from this race that I want to play in that. No, I mean, my, my pick in this race was the motion that was coming in. G. Laurie, the three, who I, I said to, to take mm -hmm. on top. That kind of tells you what I thought of this race. I mean, like, you're going to need to see massive improvement for any of these horses. I, I don't think that the four is going to step forward and going to end up there. Um, so this is this is a race where I thought it was a great one to make money in because specifically I didn't like the one. I really wish the one missed the board because the other four were my next four in the super. Uh, but I, I didn't like the one. I thought it was a good way to get around it. The four gets home, but I, I don't think from a future perspective, I don't have a ton of interest in any of these. Um, it's all about situational spots. I didn't stable any of these horses up. Yeah, I don't think there was anything really. Uh, if you play Woodbine, you can make some notes. We don't really do that so uh, that often. At least I, I know you do it tournament-wise. I should say we don't cover it that often on the Magic Mike Show. That's the more appropriate way of handling that. Mike, we got two more races to talk about real quick. We're going to go to Kentucky. We got the Iroquois Stakes here. Uh, the first one, the first Kentucky Derby points race 
of the season for 2023. Yeah. Uh, I want to give you full props here. We'll watch this. Curly Jack the five is going to win. Seven honed is going to get second. It was a 10 to one over 54 to one. And you had this exacta. How? Uh, well, two to five, three to five, whatever it is on the nine was crazy talk. I and mean, it's just that simple. We also see like Kenny McPeak and look at the sevens trip, by the way, look where the seven is on this first turn. This horse Terrible. is five wide and dead last horse should have won the race. Um, these two-year-olds stretching out are just very, very difficult to handle. We were all shocked that Damon's Mount was on the lead here at five to two. And I had the nine and the three as the two most likely winners, but I, I cannot swallow three to five and five to two in spots like this. And, and like, especially with the, the, what's the, the brevity here from, from the ride of Rosario, where he just expects that this horse is going to be able to get two turns going three wide, four wide. It's just wild to me. Um, so if this is just a situation where I liked three horses outside of the three and the nine, the five, six, seven, um, I thought they all made sense based off the last races. And, and it, the question is, could the three and the nine get the distance? Because every single horse in this field, except the seven, had distance questions based on their past performances. And the three and the nine backed up. And it, uh, it, it fortunately for me, this race collapsed. And that's how you saw the five and the seven moving forward. You're muted. Damn it. Sorry. <laughs> this race collapsed is an understatement is what I was trying to say. Um, the final time here, like stumble bunnies think this yeah. was stumble bunning. They went, the winner was 13 and one averaging in the stretch for his furlongs. Like that was it, it, curly. Jack didn't win. Everybody else fell apart and owned was too, just a little too far back early to get the job done. Um, the Jace's road quit in the turn. We called it in the reaction. Well, shit, there goes the Cox horse. And suddenly here comes the Cox horse. And we're like, this isn't the Cox horse rebreaking. It just was, I mean, everybody completely fell apart there. Um, so on that note, A, do we have a Kentucky Derby horse? And B, do we have a Breeders' Cup juvenile horse that you would take seriously? No, no. I mean, that's, that's the thing. Like, the only way you were going to see – I said this. I joked about this on the, uh, on the stream that we did. The takeaway from this race is Bob Baffert's going to go ahead and bring, win the Breeders' Cup juvenile this year. I mean, that, that, like the only horses in this race – that could actually be effective in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile against what's out there in California were the three and the nine, if they could handle the distance and stretch out well. Neither could. It's just that simple. And so um, you see, we saw McPeak win this. Was it the Iroquois last year that he won at 20 to 1? He's won these early two-year-old races at ridiculous yeah. prices. I think it was the Iroquois last year. It was like 24 to 1, a horse that With never rattle and roll, didn't he? Well, yeah, I think it was rattle and roll. He wins one of these races, it seems like, every every year. And it's with horses that, that really aren't going to stretch out that well. But everyone's taking a shot at this point and trying to figure out, can we get a mile on the 16th? Are these horses good enough? And if anything goes wrong, it's tough for them to be able to overcome it. That's what we saw from the favorites here. I would expect you're going to see the nine in the Breeders' Cup. I don't know if I want Echo again in the Breeders' Cup, especially at the price you're going to take. I, to me, Cave Rock has to be a pretty heavy favorite now going into the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Um, and, and Speedboat, Willie, whatever the heck his name is, Speedboat. Beach, I think it is. Uh, yes. I like Speedboat Willie more. Uh, I do too. That's why I was laughing. It's great. Probably should be your second choice. Look, the Bafferts are better. They, they just are. They're better, younger. Who knows why? Mystery. Um, and so I would expect that they're going to be your top two choices. And, and like, yeah, the nine could run well there, but I, the distance seemed to really be no bueno here for Echo, Echo again. Which is surprising because it's a son of Gunrunner. Out of a Tappet mare that produced uh, pneumatic, who would uh, was a great, a pretty good dirt router um, and teardrop. It was I think she was talented. She was a nutcase because she was a Tappet, but 
Uh, I'm with you. I think that this horse might rebound. We might see, you know, did draw the post nine. And it was a little bit of a short run up to the turn. Um, we'll see what Steve Asmussen does with him. Uh, the Cox horse even, I uh, don't want anything to do with, I don't move it forward. Um, at least not the way I saw right now. I think you nailed it. Bob, Bob Afford going to win that one pretty handily. And Nick mentions, was it distance or fitness? Probably both. Maybe it's a little bit the gun runners are better when they're older, just like gun runner was better when he's older. Right? Like, so uh, let's see what happens in the three-year-old and four-year-old seasons here. It just may have been too much too soon for this type of horse. And by the great way, point, great there, horse Nick. to play against. Like, that's the thing. When you see that horse, when when we talked about that race, right? So I did the preview for it, and I'm talking about the race. I I thought that was an eight-to-five horse, maybe seven-to-five. When the horse goes off at three-to-five, that's when you have to pivot and be like, okay, well, what, where else do I like prices here? Because, it's like, I, I think I specifically, my, my quote was, Two to five is crazy talk on this horse, right? When they broke from the gate, and that, like that's just—it's too short. Yeah, uh, and that's you know, if it was two to five, and this is like a six-horse field, five-horse field, you understand that. But when you're going nine, you know, and there's so many question marks, I get it. We got one more race, Mike, to talk about race eleven at Churchill Downs, closing out the ninth. There, this is the Grade Three Pocahontas Stakes, your first prep race for the Kentucky Oaks. Uh, fun and feisty gets the job done at six to one with Julian Lane Peru over Shoplifter. Uh, a pretty, uh, dom- not dominating, but a pretty impressive victory for her, especially once she got the lead in the stretch. Uh, tr- Julian Lane Peru trying the same move that he did with Honed one race previous. Let's go to the back, watch everything collapse, and go right past him. Oh, it's funny because Joe Rosario did the same move too. He went right to the front with a, a child of Gunrunner for Steve Asterson. We we know what happened there. <laughs> um, like seriously though, this is a lot easier lead for the five, and I like the five in this spot. Again, I thought even money was crazy talk. Nine to two morning line. This horse goes off at easy even money. I like five to two, three to one. Yeah, I'm interested. Um, but here, nice lead. Horse is able to get comfortable. Just too much, too soon, I guess. I, this one was much more surprised to me how it played out because I felt like with this specific setup, like we're not far wide, we're not facing pressure. It's a, a what we believe is the best horse on the lead with it its own way. Um, and, and still just kind of faded down the stretch, couldn't get the job done. I, one thing I want to watch, everyone who's watching the show right now, the one horse was my second pick in this race. The one horse got absolutely shut off down the lane. And by the one, way, the one beat the 10, breaking its maiden too. So the one is starting to roll now about mid-pack there, um, passing the two right here, going inside of this or outside the six, will duck back to the rail and just gets absolutely shut off here. I think it's by the either the pace, the five or the four, one of the two. Um, but right now, the one's ahead of the 10. And it is showing closing ability. And here comes the four. And just completely shuts the rail off. What I love is the effort here from the one to then swing back outside and continue to run on. Um, honestly, I'm more interested in the 10 here in the Breeders' Cup in the Breeders' Cup than I am the previous winner of the last race. Because this was a nice performance by 10 to be able to circle wide and then run on. You can throw some slander at the horse for that three quarters of a mile to mile time, taking 27 seconds for those two furlongs. But note that the last 16th of a mile was done in just over six seconds, which is very good. So the horse passed a lot of horses and kept running on in sub sixes or a little over sixes. So I thought this is a little more impressive a performance than one that we previously saw. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. At 12, I just did the math. She averaged a 12 and three final furlong for that entire stretch. You're, you know, from the three quarters all the way home. So uh, pretty nice effort from her. Um, I, I boss lady Bailey caught my attention. I saw Dennis in the chat, uh, explaining it too, by the way, the second fastest, uh, stretch time of the entire race was boss lady Bailey. She just 
that even with that trip trouble, she still was that fast uh, in the stretch. Maybe with a better draw next time, too. I know she was buried on the rail and kind of got shuffled back, uh, maybe a little farther back than she wanted. So let's see what happens. Uh, Jordan, Jordan says, no one's a threat in the Breeders' Cup from that race. Uh, it could be. Listen, you don't know what Bob Baffert or anybody else in California is going to have uh, and what we get to see in New York. But um, well, it's we've too also, early right now for me to ask you your pick here for this race. We've also seen consistently seen the last couple of years that the West Coast Phillies have not been as good as the West Coast males. That's right. And so we, we've seen West Coast Phillies struggle, and we've seen Brad Cox specifically dominate this division. I guess, well, did Echo? Anyway, yeah, Brad Cox and Asperson have been very good in this two-year-old Philly division go. at the Breeders' Cup the last few years. Not Bob Baffert, right? And so Bob Baffert's been very good with the boys, but I would expect that this is going to be an East Coast Philly again. Um, and if that's the case, a couple in here are probably going to play uh, a major or semi-major role in how that outcome turns out. Uh, some recent winners of the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies, Vquist, Jaywalk, Caledonia Road, Champagne Room. None of those were short prices. This is a race where I usually try and it's so easy to get sucked into the favorite because they look so good. It's usually one, you know, dominating performance. Um, you know, you might see this horse win by like three extra lengths and like the uh, it'd be the Frisette or something like that. Um, yeah, we'll see price and, and, and performance and who's kind of peaking at the right time. Those will all kind of dictate what we do there. Yeah, I, I would make the argument that variance on the Philly side is significantly higher than variance on the male side. And that, that with the males, we have a pretty good idea of who's going to win in this race. And, it, and if they get the trip and they break uh, and they draw, because that's important, see both Oro, um, then you're going to see very good horses be able to win the races. It, on the Philly side, you can see performances that pop up out of nowhere and improvements that are drastic that, that create prices. That's going to do it for this episode of the Magic Mike Show. Thanks for joining Mike and I for a recap of the weekend. It was a, a fun one. And Dr. Tang says he can't wait to make a bet against you for another dinner soon. Yeah, that's great. I'm looking forward to him paying for that dinner. <laughs> uh, Mike, that'll uh, do it for... Well, you know what? Before we uh, wrap up the horse racing, I will be gone for Thursday's show. Um, uh, it looks like it's Pennsylvania Derby weekend. Or do, you know, do you have a guest host yet? And do you know where you're going to be going? I have not. I've asked two people. I've not heard back from them yet. I'm, I'm going. I'm trying to go outside the dude family. We'll see what happens. That's good. We like to bring in uh, some outsiders to uh, kind of mix it. Besides, I mean, you can see all of our faces. You want to see us? You know, you have to go well, to Magic Mike Show to see the other guys. We're literally on everything else. And real quick here, there may be tournament news coming Saturday. We Magic and I are not currently doing working on this project, but there, there is an idea that there may be a race news tournament this Saturday. So, Bree, hang in there. We're getting close. We're trying to figure it out. Uh, but the, we're, we're revamping the idea, and that's why it's taking a little bit of time. Uh, yeah, we are. Um, we know that a lot of you want to get back. We do, too. It is a – there just are more – we're finding out there are a lot more moving parts to get this going than to, in the new way that we want to do it. Um, so it's a learning experience for us. But, yes, I promise we're, we are daily trying to figure this out. And it's not just because you're persisting. You keep persisting. It's good to know that you want it. Um, don't, don't stop. But uh, we, trust us. We want it just as badly as you do. Oh, except Bree. I think Bree might want it more than us. <laughs> and, Jordan, yes, we do. Magic Mike show every Monday and Thursday, 5 o'clock Eastern, 2 o'clock Pacific. Recaps are usually on Monday. Uh, we give out a pick four, pick five sequence every Thursday. So you can catch us twice a week here. Yeah, usually, and yeah, sorry to, like I said, thanks for showing up, Jordan. I won't be here this Thursday. So if you didn't like me on this version, come back on Thursday. It'll probably be a lot better. Um, that'll do it for horse racing. What we do on the Monday show, if you're new, thanks for joining us. Uh, now we spend the last few minutes. If you care about football, we'll talk about it. And if you don't, 
We'll see you on Thursday. Mike is very excited because his Miami Dolphins are your AFC conference leaders after week two. You can go over the rails. You used to make me sit here and wait for you. Oh, to fail I'm sorry. Rails. I got excited. I was so excited to let you uh, talk about it. Here we go. Over the rails. No antics of any kind except speed. And there we go with the antics. All right, Mike, what do you think about the Miami Dolphins? <laughs> I love the Miami Dolphins. They look great. Honestly, it was a really cheap win. I'm really happy we were able to pull it out. Uh, we won the box score. I'm excited we were able to get the job done. Really happy to be 2-0. We're going to get blown out by the Bills next week. Although, it is the best spot ever for the Dolphins because you have the Buffalo Bills coming down to Miami after playing on a Monday night. It's a great chance for us to do really well. So I, I, I'm cautiously optimistic. We need to add a subsection of over the rails called the Nathaniel Hackett job of the week, which is the worst co coaching moment in the NFL every single week. This week it goes to Nathaniel Hackett. Who <laughs> did you see this? I got it. Like, I don't know if you saw this. He kicked a 64 yard field goal in Seattle to try and win the game on Sunday. Yes, week one. Yeah. On Sunday, he kicks a 54 yarder, but gets a delay of game called because you should never get a delay of game called on a field goal. But it happens to Nathaniel Hackett, who then is given the five-yard penalty at Denver in altitude, where it's a lot easier to kick field goals. And by the way, the kicker had made the 54-yarder by 15 yards. He then punts from 59 yards out. So 64 in less than ideal circumstances is one thing. Oh, it's totally fine. But but, but hey, 59-yarder in Denver, we're punting every time. We're probably just going to punt it. So that's the Nathaniel Hackett job. Coach, terrible coaching job league from the NFL. Uh, man, it was brutal. It was rough to watch him. Uh, look. Excited about the Giants. Excited about the Titans. I hope everyone got in on those bets pre-flop. Pre we are looking great right now for both those team totals. Um, tonight's games, I think, are actually a ton of fun. We get to three, see three of the marquee receivers and A.J. Brown, Justin Jefferson, and Stephon Diggs go at it in two Monday night football games. If somehow – there was a 9.5 that popped up, Bills minus 9.5 today. If we can get Bills minus 9.5 again against the Titans, I like it. I'm playing Bills first half. I think they're going to come out and roll the Titans. The Titans are one of those teams that I don't like even a little bit. The Bills are a team that I'm pretty high on. And conversely, I think Philadelphia is overrated and the Vikings are underrated. If we can get plus three on the Vikings, I'm, I'm all about playing some Vikings action there too. I'm looking ahead a little. I also, uh, I'm excited about this game because I know this just, there should be a lot of high flying off, hopefully a bunch of high flying offense. I've got uh, Jalen Hurts on my fantasy team. So like, let's get that. Let, let's, although I'm playing somebody with AJ Brown. So I don't know when you're, I don't, I don't know fantasy. I know most people hate this stuff, but I'm asking you because I don't know fantasy that well. When you've got this, the quarterback, but the other team has a star receiver. Is there like that much of a conflict of interest or do you feel kind of superior? Uh, you should be okay. I mean, look here, in, in just to put A.J. Brown in, in perspective, his total tonight is 74 and a half yards. Justin Jeff, Jeff, Jefferson on the other side is 96 and a half. Justin Jefferson is minus, I think, no, A.J. Brown is plus 350 to have most receiving yards in the game. So it's unlikely that he's going to go off that big there. I, 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 to me, this is one of those. If we can get plus three on the Vikings, I'm going to be invested. We'll put it that way. Um, just it's a great <laughs> spot for Minnesota. I, you saw Detroit last week, just give up a boatload of yards through the air. People talk about the, you know, Kirk Cousins specifically in primetime. If you go back and look who Kirk Cousins faced in primetime, you know, four of his 11 games against Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. Good luck to anyone playing Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay in primetime. Another one was in Seattle against Russell, Russell Wilson three years ago when Russell Wilson in Seattle was good. Like you playing in primetime games against really good teams. You're playing Jalen freaking Hurts tonight. Jalen Hurts is the worst quarterback he's played in primetime. I, like to me, this is a, a different situation in that sense. 
we'll see what hap- what's happens here tonight. But I, I, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic uh, that the, the Vikings are going to win. And it makes me even more optimistic when Dr. Tang takes the other side of this because he wanted to play the Eagles in our, our super contest picks. And, and we did not. We passed the game because I was Vikings and he was Eagles. Uh, but he hasn't mentioned if we're gonna if we're gonna give me plus three or not in this game. I'm waiting for it, Doctor Tang. We've got about well, two minutes left stuff. here. I was gonna say we're gonna start wrapping things up, Doctor Tang. You better uh, stop stop trying to cure cancer and let us know how you want to handle this bet right now. Uh, thanks everybody for watching. Like uh, we talked about, we've got uh, the Magic Mike show coming back at five Eastern, two Pacific on Thursday this week. Michael have a guest star uh, from outside the racing news team, so tune in to see who that might be. I'm excited too. I honestly don't even know. Uh, so I'll find out when you do. Also, remember, dudes who bet daily every Wednesday through Sunday, noon Eastern, uh, except on Saturdays, it's now 11 Eastern, so we can get those early college football games in. I apologize. My two CFL games last week were ter- like not like, they were just like not even close. I I don't know what happened. I, I was watching them like I, this just feels like like when I used to bet at the NFL every week, there'd be like two weeks out of 17 where you just have like I go one and four, one and five. And you can't figure out, like, you just have a bad week sometimes. And I, I think that's what my week was here this weekend. I'm hoping it was anyway. Well, look, it's it's a long season. I would I, I don't have your individual stats, but I guess you're like 12 and 7 with two dogs winning over the over the time period you've given these picks Thir- out. 13 and 11. 13 and 11. Okay, with two dogs. So you're, you're plus money yeah. right now on the CFL. Yep. I would argue anyone to go find another CFL person who's plus money through that same time. <laughs> period because there's not many people giving out cfl picks uh so i like the action i like i, I appreciate that the love for the cfl and we've talked about it before the best way to beat markets is find under bet markets and play against them and then that's that your cfl action is a lot easier to beat the nfl because the nfl are much more mature markets and so your opinion has to be that much sharper in the nfl than it does in the cfl unless you're playing derivatives and we talked about like you know that there's every now and then you find really good derivatives like alabama minus 10 and a half in the first quarter was a wrong number uh, which we were able to scope out on Saturday. It should have been 14. And, it, you know, there's just certain areas where you're, you're lucky enough to get that in major bet markets. But even a derivative is a less bet market than the game or the total. And that's that's where you need to be looking if you want to find a long-term edge. Well, tune in to Dudes Who Bet Daily this week. We'll have a, lots of action. I know you guys had a lot of fun with the NFL bets and the parlays going on on Sunday. Saratoga Slim has been doing his NFL picks, so make sure you tune in. Really, just go to YouTube.com slash Racing Dudes. Uh, and make sure you subscribe. Nick says he's got Bills minus six and a half first half. I like it. I'll, I, if you get, you're laying sub a touchdown, Buffalo is significantly better. So, so propose something here, Doc. Come on, gotta get, gotta give me, gotta give me some action here. I'll, I'll, I'll lay the plus. I'll lay the plus three minus the one twenty. But you got to figure out a way to make that a financially viable bet. You can text me after the show if you want. We'll work it out. I mean, we'll, we can find a way to make this happen. You're, you're on the wrong side here. To find out what happens, make sure you follow Mike on Twitter at some of them, 18, number one, number eight. I'm at Curtis Kelloward, Corporal Rollers at Racy underscore Dudes. Uh, like I mentioned, we'll be back Thursday. Well, Mike will be back Thursday at 5 Eastern, 2 Pacific with a late pick four, pick five. Uh, something fun happening there. It's also Pennsylvania Derby and Cotillion Stakes weekend, so we'll have full previews for that up at RacingDudes.com shortly. But until next time, I'm Magic. And I'm Mike. Boom, we got a wager right there. Plus three, Dr. Tang is taking it. I'm so glad we held on until just now. Uh, Tune in Thursday. Mike will be celebrating his victory. Until then, take care, everybody. The Magic Mike Show. Where you hear the experts speak. The Magic Mike Show. Tune into the show every week. The Magic Mike Show. You can trust the show is the bomb. Because it's being brought to you by RacingDudes.com.